Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Don. Hi, I'm Don, compulsive overeater. And I always bring pictures to prove it and also so I don't forget. Uh, my top weight was that I know of was about 238 pounds, and uh, yesterday I had 15 years of abstinence. Um, the, uh, I don't remember a time in my life that I didn't have a different relationship with food than anybody else I knew as a kid. I remember seeing that all my friends would stop and leave food on their plates. They would say weird things like, I'm full. They would uh, and not seem interested and like lose interest in eating and go do something else. And I would be eating everything on my plate and to the extent I could get it on your plate. Um, I just knew that I couldn't stop. I knew that there was something weird and different. I was heavier than everybody else. I was actually as a kid heavier than I ever was as an adult. Uh, enough that people on the street would turn around and look at me. Enough that when I went shopping for clothes, they would hustle me off to the Husky division, and I couldn't fit in the clothes. And it was humiliating, and to this day, I don't like shopping for clothes, no doubt related to that experience. Um, it was a feeling that, uh, it, it, that if I had lost the weight, somehow everything in my life would be different, but I couldn't. I remember a coach uh, at the, saying to me in elementary school, kid, you got to do pushaways. And I said, what are those? He said, push away from the table. And that's great advice for coming from a thin person. Uh, the problem is it didn't work. The problem was not that I didn't know what to do. It was that I couldn't do it. It was that no matter what I tried to do, it was artificial. That no matter how hard I tried not to eat, it felt like a spring winding up inside me. It felt like... I was trying to graft something onto my personality that was completely not me. And I didn't know what it was or how to do anything about it. I only knew I was teased at school. I only knew that I felt completely embarrassed by the way that I looked. And I also knew that I couldn't do anything about it, no matter how hard I tried. Um, I even remember my mom put me through some kind of medical test. I think it was for metabolism or thyroid in case there was some medical thing. I vividly remember these like... Uh, ribbed black things I was breathing into and there was nothing wrong in terms of my health I was just a compulsive overeater though of course I didn't know what that meant at the time now in every other area of my life uh, I've been able to set a goal and I've been able to accomplish much of what I wanted to do that's true of a job that was true of school Uh, it was true of um, uh, my, my marriage and my family and yet when it came to the food I would get my ass kicked by a bunch of tortilla chips in a bowl. Um, I would sit there baffled, once again, going, what happened? And not understand or have any tools to do it. I kept thinking there was a gimmick. I kept thinking there was a trick. I kept thinking that I just haven't got it yet. And I would get these frustratingly short periods of, oh, this time I got it. I would start to lose weight. I would start to eat healthy. I would start to exercise. And I go, oh, I got it this time. Now now I understand. Now I see what it's like. Only to have it slip away, usually starting slowly and building quickly. 
and I would end up gaining back more weight uh, than I had lost. It's sort of like borrowing it and paying it back with interest. Um, it was that I couldn't do it. It was felt like I was in prison. It felt like a spring inside me was tightening up and getting tighter and tighter, and then it would explode. When I got out of the prison, I would make up for lost time, and I would just feel this sense of relief. Because the truth was, I got a sense of relief out of food. Um, I I was a kid in the 1950s, and uh, my parents were divorced. We were literally the only family. I was the only kid in school whose parents were divorced, because it was the 1950s, and people didn't do that. They just stayed together and made each other miserable. Uh, And so my mom always had this sense of, well, she actually told me this as an adult. You know, I'd taken your father away. I didn't feel I should deprive you of the food. And with well-meaning and coming from a loving place, she was not in any way trying to do it. Now, the reality is, of course, that she couldn't have done anything about it um, because it was something inside me that wouldn't stop. But I know she felt uh, funny about it because that's the way she wanted to do it. Um, My mom also had a local television show, uh, and uh, so we had one of the very first televisions on the block. So I like to believe I'm one of the very first pioneers of eating in front of the television. (laughs) And like all pioneers, we had to endure hardships. There were no remote controls. (laughs) So... I spent most of my life trying to figure out how to diet, trying to figure out what to do. It wasn't that I knew didn't know what to do. That was pretty simple. If anybody here wants to know how to lose weight, I can tell you in two words. Eat less. Unfortunately, that did me no good whatsoever. Knowing what to do and being able to do it were completely different things because I couldn't do it. I even once dieted myself down to 40 pounds less than I weighed a day. And I didn't like the way I looked. I didn't like the way my bones were shaped. I didn't like the way my skin hung off. And I thought, and it tells me that it doesn't matter what I look like on the outside. I'm going to up here feel fat. I'm going to up here not think that my body looks right. It was something I had to let go of, which is a great sense of relief when I was able to do it, but only through the program. But I'll get to that in a minute. So um, it wasn't, it was after the sort of last go-round when I had done this, uh, what I considered the right way for about four years, and I was exercising, and I was looking good, and I was eating uh, healthily, and eating three meals a day, and doing exactly what I knew I was supposed to do, and I thought this time for sure I got it, and I was at a, um, a function with a friend of mine who was a large guy, and uh, I was eating a dessert because I was determined to eat everything in moderation, and he looks at me and says, you know, as skinny as you are, you should eat two desserts, and I thought, yeah, that sounds right. And literally from that point, all the weight came back. And I have this vivid memory of lying in bed at night and feeling this giant lump of a stomach and going, I give up. I can't do this by myself. Now, I had heard of Overeaters Anonymous probably 10 years before I came in. I'd heard about it. I'd come close. And then I'd always backed off. The reason was very simple. My ego would not fit through the size of that door. My ego kept saying, you've got to be able to do this yourself. What's the matter with you? You can't be one of these people who can't do it. Look what else you can accomplish in life. You've got to be able to do this. Of course you can do it. And I couldn't bring myself to admit that I couldn't. But I do have this very vivid memory of giving up and going, I really can't do it. I've tried everything else. I've got to try Overeaters Anonymous. And I had gone to a nutritionist at various points, and I found, interestingly, that with, for three or four days after seeing the nutritionist, I ate pretty good, and then, of course, it went sloppy again. And I thought, well, you know what? If Overeaters Anonymous is nothing more than a three- or four-day shot 
that gets me to the next meeting, at least I can try that. I've tried everything else. So this was back before the Internet. I uh, called up the OA office, got a recording with 30 minutes long of all the meetings coming up. And I went. I found a newcomer meeting not far from my house, and I went there on a very rainy Saturday afternoon. And I was certain that one of the people in the meeting was brain damaged. I was certain that the speaker I could completely unidentify with and go, this is not me. And I was so out of there. And this tiny little woman named Doris, who was around program for 30 plus years, she was in her 90s at the time, gets between me and the door and points her finger in my face and says, don't leave before the miracle happens. And I thought, what? (laughs) This is really weird. But it was enough of an intrigue to go, all right, I'll give it one more shot. And the next day I went to a meeting and it was sunny and it was shiny and people were laughing and I, the newcomer speaker was, was engaging and I thought, there's got to be something. I don't know what it is, but it's something. It's a little bit like, um, you know, you don't think you can ride a bicycle when you're a kid because two wheels are going to fall over by themselves. But you see your friends riding bikes and you go, well, I guess maybe I could. And I, would, I saw people who'd lost 250 pounds and had it off for 20 plus years. Never seen that in my life. Never thought it was possible. I got to be honest. I didn't think it was possible for me to keep the weight off. Secretly, in my heart, I thought it's not going to work for me. Uh, I thought I can't. I just, all my life has struggled with it. I don't see any reason why this is going to be any different, but I'm out of alternatives and I've got to try something different. So what I, if you uh, ask me as I walked in that door, why are you here? I would look at you like, is this a trick question? I came here because I want to lose weight. If you're going to ask me today why I'm here, I'm going to tell you it's because I don't want to eat compulsively. Very different. Very different. I can, I can uh, um, eat compulsively and lose weight. I can be stressing over the food, white knuckle hanging on, wound up tight inside, and, you know, restricting myself and lose weight. But if I don't, if I, but I'm, by the contrast, if I don't eat compulsively, I can get a serenity around the food that I never thought was possible. I can get to a place if I do the deal, which I'll talk about later what the deal is. If I do the program deal, I can get to a place where the food can really quiet down in my life. Never thought that was possible. Or I can be in what they describe in the big book as a neutral place with regard to the food, or a fourth dimension as they call it. Now the problem is my head works very, very logically. I came in as a graduator. I came in as, all right, what's the thing? How fast can I learn it and how quick can I get out of here? Um, because that's how my brain works. I want to understand it. I want to get it. I want to put it into my analytical system and get out. And it turns out the program is experiential, not logical. It turns out it's something that I had to live. It turns out it's something that I had to process and feel, not analyze, not put down on a test and check the boxes. And that's not how my brain works. But I kept seeing people doing it, and I realized that I was beginning to get some release from it. I got very, very lucky. I got abstinent the first day. Uh, and again, in the beginning, to be honest, A, it was a bit like a diet club, and B, the meeting I was going to gave chips for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and I'm a goal-set guy, if you haven't figured that out, and I wanted the trophies, and I wanted the chips, and I wanted to be the star. Okay, that's what it took to get me in the room. I, I don't see it that way anymore, but I saw it at the time, and that's what I needed, because that's where I was, and that's where my brain was. And as I was walking up to get a 60-day chip, uh, I realized something that was missing. And it was harder to understand something missing than something that it's intruded. Uh, That's easier to see. But what I realized was missing 
was that I, for the first time in my entire life, I had lost weight and I didn't feel the spring winding up inside me. That was extraordinary when I realized it. Never happened before. Always when I lost weight, it was prison. It was tightening up. It was a feeling that I just couldn't wait to explode and let this prison, the, the spring release its power and let me go back to eating and soothe my nerves with the food. And for the first time ever in my entire life, I didn't feel it. And it was extraordinary. It was something that, um, that I couldn't understand or explain, but I liked it. And I liked it a lot. And I liked the way it was feeling. And uh, I, started, uh, I started working the steps with my sponsor, who does it in a very formal way. There's a pamphlet of Dr. Paul's that's, uh, um, that, that you can get online, or it's, it's for free, uh, that takes you very methodically through the steps. My sponsor is an AA as well and runs it rather strictly. And it was an extraordinary process. I, I was scared of it. Um, I'd heard about this night step when you're supposed to apologize to people, and I thought, that's not something I want to do. And I said to him, um, you know, I'm a little worried about the night step. He says, you're not even on the first step. <laughs> I said, so I shouldn't worry about it? And he said, well, you can if you want to, but, you know, why don't you wait till you get there? And the steps are in an order for a reason. By the time I got there, it wasn't the issue that I thought. It was, it was an experience. The brilliance of this program to me is that we can speak a language that nobody else speaks. The analogy that I like is take somebody blind from birth and tell them what the color orange looks like. You can't do it, right? We don't have a common frame of reference. I can't talk to someone who's not a compulsive overeater and get them to understand what I feel. I can't. Uh, people who are compulsive gamblers, I don't get it. Uh, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't get it. To me, if I never drink alcohol again, it doesn't matter. But I get it when you talk about food. And that's the brilliance here, is we can talk to each other in a way that nobody else can talk to us. And we understand each other in a way that other people don't. And I don't have the shame that I felt as a child around the fact that I couldn't control myself around the food. It's just a disease. It's just the way I was wired. I think genetically, not everybody agrees, but whatever it is, that's how the wiring came out. Whether it's genetic or not, it's the way that I'm programmed. It's as if when you go to the gas station and you go and put the gas in your car, it, it clicks off when it's full, right? I don't have that fill switch. I don't have the ability to know when I'm full. I don't have the ability to stop even if I do realize I'm full. I'll go to the point of pain and then sit there and wonder why I did it and two hours later want to do it again. It's, it's, it's where my default goes. My default is how much can I get for myself out of the program? How much can I take and how little can I give? That's my default. That's how I came in because I needed, I wanted to lose the weight and I wanted to get what they had here with doing the minimal amount of work because that's the way I think. Today, I, what I realized is that it is the opposite. The more I put into the program, the more release I get from the food. It's one of the paradoxes of the program. They don't make logical sense to me. To me, to say I am powerless over food is the only way I get relief from the compulsion doesn't make sense. How can I say I'm powerless and then expect it to go away? Isn't it going to overwhelm me? And yet it does. How can I say that I, uh, I selfishly want more from the program and the way that I get it is by doing more for other people, doing more for the program? It doesn't make sense to me logically, but it works. And like I say, the program to me is experiential and I don't need to argue with it. If I argue with it, I'm just going to give myself an excuse not to do it and things are going to creep on me. 
Now, I don't want to give the impression that this was a continuous pink cloud straight line from the day I walked in until today, because it's not. Uh, probably about a year in, I noticed my pants getting tighter. I hadn't noticed I was eating more, of course, but I noticed my pants getting tighter. My first reaction is, oh, they're shrinking. Uh, turned out not to be the case. And my first reaction was also, don't tell anybody. Be the poster boy for OA. Be the, be the shining star, and you can't possibly admit that you're having a problem. Fortunately, I figured out within a week or two, that was the opposite of what I needed to do. I needed to talk to people about it. I needed to admit it. I needed to share it at a meeting. I needed to talk to my sponsor. And by doing that, I got a release from the secrets. The gremlins that live inside my head, they're very scary in the dark. When I pull them out into the light, they're a little small and shriveled. But if the, the, the more I keep inside me, the more I think I am hiding, and the more I think that I can do it myself, the more trouble I get in. And it still happens periodically. It happened uh, within the last year or two that I was just found my, not only my, my food creeping, but as my sponsor says, you gave it to God and then you took it back. Um, I was trying to do it myself. I was trying to sort of put a diet back into the mentality. I had drifted a little bit away from what I was doing in program. And fortunately, by getting back into it and making an effort to do more with the program, I'm beginning to get a release once again from the compulsion. And it is a genuine release. It's not, it's not you know, uh, ability to diet by, with willpower. It's the ability to have a calmness and a serenity around the food that's not possible for me anyway, except through the 12 steps and except through the program. It's the only way I've ever had any peace or any serenity or any kind of sanity around the food. Because left to my own devices, I'll sneak eat, I'll, I'll eat when I'm not supposed to, I'll eat too much, and I won't stop when I'm full. Because uh, I don't really have a great sense of when I'm full. I have to actually slow down and watch and wait for it. It's, um, it, it, it's, it's not something I can do uh, by myself. It just it, it isn't. It's something that I have to have help. Um, I had a sponsee who, uh, who had a, um, a great gift for analogy. And he used to say, uh, if there's an eight-foot wall, I can't get over it. But if we're together, I can give you a boost to the top of the wall, and I can, uh, you can reach down, grab my hand, pull me over, and we're both over the wall. And I think it's true. I think that the only way I can do this is with everyone in this room. The only way I can do it is by doing a few simple things on a daily basis. Um, I keep a, uh, the For Today book uh, beside my bed, and I put my glasses on it at night, so I have to get it in the morning. And I get up and read the little meditation first. I have someone that I call, and we go over the big book. Uh, I call my sponsor. Uh, I'll do an inventory. There's an A-E-I-O-U, uh, meaning A for abstinence, E for exercise, I, what I do for myself, uh, O, what I do for others. U is an uncovering. And it goes through three things. It's a resentment of something that happened. It's fears that I have or resentment of myself. Um, uh, then there's a, a why for a Yahoo, which is something I'm happy about. And three things I'm grateful for. It's a formal way that we do it, and it, it tends to work well. And it forces me to think about the day and to think about what I'm doing. And to be honest, by reporting what I'm eating and my food, because... Uh, left in my own head, I can, I can rationalize most anything, but if I know I'm going to report it, it keeps me more honest. I have to be cleaner about it, and I have to be with it. Um, I, I remember if I said, but there's someone I, who calls me on a, a regular basis and will read from the big book, and I talk to sponsees and sponsor other people. Um, 
because there's a there's a, a story about uh, Bill W. when he was in AA in the beginning. And he was uh, complaining to his wife and saying, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been working with these guys, drunks for six months and not one of them has stayed sober. What the hell is the point of this? And she says, um, well, you've stayed sober. And there is nothing like transmitting it. It's back to the thing I talked about earlier, one of the counterintuitive things. Uh, the more I can give to other people, the more I can work with sponsees. First of all, sponsees remind me, A, how hard it is, B, how dangerous it is, and C, that where I was in the beginning. That, uh, that if I can help somebody else, I get out of my own head, which is where I want to dwell, but it's better if I don't stay there. This is... Uh, one of our fellows in program says you can't fix a broken brain with a broken brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the more I can get out of my head, the better off that we are. So everybody here has got uh, at least a half hour of abstinence. Uh, if, if you're starting, use that and build on it. And the other thing I would leave you with is one, the same sponsee who gave me the analogy had a great thing that I love to share, which is that I can't stay clean today on yesterday's shower. It doesn't matter how much abstinence I have. The fact that I have 15 years, if anything, can make me cocky, can make me think, oh, you know, I'm a pro. I got this. I don't have to work it as hard. I can cruise now. That's where my head wants to go. That's not a good place. I need to, on a daily basis, do the deal. If I do, I get a release, a release that's a wonderful feeling I don't get any other way and I don't get any other place. If I don't do the deal, it can lead back to the, bar, the dark place. And trust me, I could be there uh, within the hour if I'm not careful. So thank you all for coming. Thank you for letting me be of service. And we'll open it for questions. Yes, uh, the question is, how do I work step 11 in my relationship with God? Um, I grew up very spiritual, but not particularly religious. My mother was very spiritual. And I had drifted away from it. And uh, when I came into the 12 steps, I had forgotten it was based on a spiritual basis. And that was a happy homecoming for me. So it was never an issue. Um, I feel God as a harmony, as, as, as a flow of the universe. And when I try to swim against it, my life gets very difficult. And when I relax and flow with it, my life gets better. And uh, for me, I don't do a formal step 11 and then I don't do a meditation. I I try to pray, um, you know, around meals because that's usually when I need it about make this enough or help me relieve the compulsion. That's very powerful for me to say, God, please relieve the compulsion. I don't always want to say it because sometimes I want to get into the food. But when I do say it, it's very powerful. It's it's uh, it's just an ongoing connection. And other than the meditation that I read in the morning, it's just an ongoing uh, dialogue. All right. The question is, did I work the steps once uh, or do I work them during the day? Uh, I work the steps formally only once other than working them with sponsees. Um, My sponsor doesn't believe in doing the fourth, fifth or ninth step more than once. Uh, he says you don't need to redredge that stuff. That's what his sponsor taught him. Uh, I do, uh, you know, and on a daily basis, I don't formally work them, but I'm certainly using them in terms of knowing I'm powerless, asking for help, uh, doing, you know, doing a 10th step inventory, which is the AIOU that I talked about earlier, and, you know, working with others in the 12th step. Oh, okay. The question is, what's my abstinence and how long was I in program before I lost the weight? Uh, I, I, my abstinence is three meals a day and an occasional snack. 
my food plan changes over time. In general, it's all foods with moderation. Uh, and 97.8% uh, of the time, it's a healthy choice. Um, the, uh, if I'm in a weight-losing mode, it's going to be a different abstinence. It's going to be cutting out the obvious uh, desserts and, and breads and pastas and potatoes and things right, like that. Uh, and I lost the weight right away. Uh, I, the, the weight came off relatively quickly, within um, seven months of, of when I got in the program. It took about that. How do I address my body, body image issues? Um, it was tough uh, because, as I say, up here, I am not going to be happy with the way my body looks no matter what I do. It was kind of a letting go of it, and it was kind of a uh, general easing of it. It, just, it, didn't, it wasn't a formal thing that it just went away quickly. It was more of a, okay, I'm not going to be happy with my body, but this is the only one I've got. So I've got to live with it, and I have to be okay with it. Uh, and uh, so, okay, I don't necessarily go without a shirt if I don't have to. Um, I, you know, I'm not, I don't go out on my way to show it off, but at the same time, I'm at peace with it, and I'm okay with the way I look. Uh, what amends did I make that were powerful and changed my recovery? Well, the amends were actually interesting. The things that I thought were going to be the most difficult uh, turned out not to be, and a couple of ones I didn't think would be so hard would be. Um, the most difficult one was an odd one in a business situation where I apologized to someone and got threatened to be sued and went through a bit of a thing around. I didn't expect that one, but it got, it got settled relatively quickly. Uh, the one I thought would be most difficult was an apology to my father um, because I had uh, like said some things in anger when I was uh, younger. And uh, I went and he didn't live, he doesn't live uh, in L.A. So I, when I was visiting him, I went and sat with him and said I wanted to apologize. And he said, well, one of the nice things about getting old is I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a nice release. <laughs> but in general, it was... Uh, it, 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 the, the, the whole process of the ninth step was a huge um, release. It was a huge unburdening of things that I had kept hidden and felt, you know, guilty about and didn't even realize it. Things that were churning inside me that I thought, you know, I had swept under the rug, and they were under the rug. They were just churning around and making it impossible to put furniture there. So uh, it, it, it was a very cleansing release and uh, not nearly as difficult when I got to it because I was more ready. And also um, I had the most important thing I guess I learned out of, out of all of this was um, looking at my role in it. Because the more I see what I did wrong in a situation where I thought I was wrong, the harder it was for me to get angry about it. The harder it was for me to carry a grudge about it. If I put myself in the other person's shoes and go, you know what, I would have done what they did in that situation. Um, it's hard for me to be upset about it. And by the same token, when making amends, I'm getting cleaning up my side of the street. <clears throat> How people react to it, I can't control. I can only control what I do and know that their reaction is not my business because I can't change it. All I can do is clean up my side. Uh, the question is, when my uh, pants get tight, what did I do to change it? Well, the first time my pants got tight. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Fortunately, I haven't had to buy new pants, but I've on occasion felt like I had a tourniquet. Um, the, uh, 
what I did to change it, well, the first thing, first time it happened, I had to admit it. I mean, I had to talk to people about it because I didn't want to hide it and I didn't want to, you know, take off like I always had in the past. And that in itself was a release because it was like, it's not a secret. It's not a shameful thing. It's just my disease acting up. Um, I don't have to apologize if I was born with one arm. Uh, I don't have to apologize that I'm born a compulsive overeater other than socially it's not the same kind of acceptability. Uh, but when it gets when it gets that way, the main thing is to is to tell somebody, particularly my sponsor, and go. I'm really struggling. I'm having trouble. What do I do? What's your experience? To get out of my own head and to understand what to do. And the answer is almost always the same. It's you know rededicate yourself to the program, help somebody else, get involved, do service. Um, be sure that you're a participant. Be sure that you're an active member, not just, you know, sitting and listening and trying to absorb the home study course. Okay. The question is, in a social setting, first of all, how did I deal with uh, the weight loss to non-program people? And secondly, how do I deal with the uh, challenging social situations when there's food triggers? Uh, in terms of the first one, um, I always said Overeaters Anonymous. I thought that it might help somebody who was looking to lose weight. Uh, I was actually disappointed after a year or two when people quit saying, oh, you've lost weight. Um, uh, by the way, one other thing I meant to mention, I should have mentioned earlier, it's not quite related, I will come back to it, is that one of the things I didn't anticipate when I first lost weight is I suddenly felt vulnerable. I felt less of a person. I wasn't the big presence that I felt before. And the chairs hurt my ass. I didn't have any- <laughs> uh, in, in terms of your second question, um, social situations can be tricky. I, I, the, the key to me is to have a strategy in advance because I generally know in advance when I'm going to have that problem. Because certainly in the past, if I'm in an awkward or, or uncomfortable situation, I'll go hide in the food. I'll go just stand by the hors d'oeuvres or whatever I need to do. But if I go in with a strategy in advance, for example, I might drink a lot of water instead of eating. Or I'll stay out of the room where the foods that are triggering me. I've done that in the past. Um, Or I'll try to make a a plan to just, um, you know, walk past it quickly and get to another part of the room. Or talk to somebody that that I can actually have a conversation with rather than having the food, you know, keep screaming. Which I heard something early in program, if the food's calling you, it's because you're throwing your voice. <laughs> right. The uh, question is, what character defect most challenges me? I think it's the selfishness. Which, uh, I, I think it's the self-centeredness that is my default. That I just want as much for me as I can possibly get, and to give as little in exchange. And that's that's what I uh, have to consciously uh, try to act differently from. The question is, which of the uh, the ninth step promises most came into fruition? I think, well, I think it was a, um, I think it was a fear of financial insecurity, which had no basis in reality, but was always in my head. Uh, No doubt a part of the same compulsion that it's never enough, Um, that no matter how much food is there, I would worry that I'd run out of it if it was this room full. Uh, and yet it wasn't a reality. It was just an obsession in my head that I could feel a release from. All right. Well, thank you for letting me this. <laughs>